Morning, everyone. We're going to read uh, two passages this morning from Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 47, and then Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We've been reading some of these verses from Acts 2, and we focus mostly on verse 42, so I'm moving ahead just a couple of lines. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Then in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Then Jesus came came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Father God, we pray over the folks who've come here this morning and those who are watching online with us. We've gathered at this time because we see the example of the churches in the centuries past who made a habit of gathering on the day that Jesus was raised from the dead on a Sunday morning. And we offer to you our praises. We bring to you our prayers and our confessions and our needs. And we ask that here in the company of other people who are calling on your name, that you would draw near to each of us. I would imagine there are a number of hopes that folks bring with them into this room today. Maybe that they'd hear something new that would bring them instruction in an area of need, or perhaps to be reminded of principles that we've known to be true and trustworthy. Some to find a quiet space to pour out their hearts in the midst of pain, and others to express to you our praises in times of joy. We thank you in this season. We don't thank you enough, but we we thank you for providing everything that we have. This morning, no matter where we woke up, we had sun that was shining on us and providing light. We had air that filled our lungs, allowed us to breathe. And we have shelter We have food, and we live in one of the greatest nations in the world that tries hard to secure our freedoms in the midst of all the turmoil and the chaos that happens around us in this world. Not perfect, but wonderful. And we live in a world where you've provided so much splendor for us, and we know there are things that are broken in this world, but there's so much that is good, and we are grateful. You've brought people into our lives who care about us and who love us, and in some cases, people who've shown us your truth or who've modeled it for us. You've brought children into our lives who make us laugh, who bring joy every moment, and who allow us to use the knowledge and the skills that we've developed in order to raise them. Lord, you've given us ears to hear, and we ask this morning that you'd give us the ability to hear what you are saying to us, what you are reminding us of. We ask that you would point us in the right direction of how you want us to live our lives individually and together as a church. 
So thank you for bringing us right here at this moment on this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, the riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man. It's an interesting statement. The riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man or mankind. Longtime pastor Erwin Lutzer raises the question, what is God up to? In a series of messages that he gave several years ago at Chicago's famous Moody Church, he traced the handiwork of God in the order and design of the creation around us and added that God knew what he was doing when he created spirit beings known to us as angels or messengers and then crafted the first human beings, putting his very own image equally into both the man and the woman, knowing full well that they would succumb to temptation, rebel against the guardrails that secured their peaceful existence, and plunge themselves and all creation into a world where people sin, some overtly choose evil, and wars cover the earth. Lutzer points out that many people rail against the God who would not orchestrate, yet who still allows such chaos. Nonetheless, the context of temptation, rebellion, and chaos sets the stage for God's glory to be revealed as he pours out his grace on the lives of those who love him and who follow Jesus. The mission of the apostles and the launching of the early church tells the story of this flow of grace through a small band of disciples to communities of faith around the world that expanded from hundreds at first to thousands and ultimately millions around the globe. This would require a very special group of people who are tuned into the will and mission of God. Hence that quote from Chesterton, the riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man. Now what's the point of telling you all that? From the earliest days of the existence of the Christian church, the leaders and the people of the church focused on serving others, reaching their neighbors with the gospel, and then sending some of their best and brightest to start new churches in places where the gospel movement was not yet strongly established. Where does that desire come from? What factors drive that desire to serve, reach, and to send out? Or, as we often put it here at North River, to reach, grow, and go. This morning's theme is called to serving and sending. This is part of our Church on the Move series that we've been working through in this month of November. And in this series, we're exploring the understanding of the church that, uh, that was uh, the group of the very, the very first Christians in the days when there was only one church on the earth. God was doing something new, fresh, and dynamic. And the church on the move was developing week by week, and it was making a lasting impact. So we're calling this series The Church on the Move. So let me welcome you here to North River today. I'm glad that you're here because every time that we gather, we are doing something that is important to God. Let me also warmly welcome all of those of you who are watching with us online today. Thanks for connecting through the live stream. I hope you'll tell somebody else about it. I hope that you'll keep taking the next step, step by step, as we focus on becoming the people the Lord is shaping us to be and training us to become. I said all of this last week. How we understand the church as a fellowship, how we embrace the reality of fellowship, 
and how the church functions as a fellowship is of vital importance to us all. Vital importance to us because we become enfolded in that and and we are in the process of developing what North River will become and what legacy it will leave. But it's also vitally important to God because when you look at the large sweep, the arc of God's movement throughout the history of the Bible, it seems that God was pointing toward doing something very unique once Jesus had come to this earth, once he had died on the cross, in the launching of the church as the thing that had been veiled up until that point through all of history. And so it matters to God as well. So the question that I raise today is, what factors drive that desire to serve, reach, and send through the local church? And I'd like to address that topic this morning, why the church embraces serving and sending. First, consider our relationship to the early church. Matthew 16, 18 includes these words from Jesus, and he says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death, other versions say hell or Hades, will not overcome it. A couple of weeks ago, we launched this series, and we began exploring the concept of devotion. We read in Acts 2.42 that the very first church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We noted that the dictionary defines devotion this way as an unswerving fidelity or loyalty to a person or a cause. So by definition, an unswerving loyalty is not something that is temporary. It's not something that is fleeting. Rather, it is by nature consistent and unrelenting. It is a defining passion that tells us something about who we are. Now let me add to that another thought. The word church first appears in the Bible in Matthew 16, 18. This is Matthew's account of Jesus' question to the disciples. Who do you say that I am? And Peter immediately responds. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. For us as followers of Jesus Christ, those are formational words. We are united by sharing that identification with and faith in Jesus Christ. Peter's readiness to identify that Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, and that he was the son of the living God, helps us reach that same conclusion because we are falling in the footsteps of those earliest disciples. While Peter's declaration is formational, Jesus' response to that declaration is foundational. Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That identifies Jesus as the church builder, but this is the first time that that word church is used in the entire Bible. The church at large is the one thing in the entire world that has a God-backed guarantee that it will not fail. That doesn't mean that there are not local congregations and local churches that rise up and go out of existence, but the church as a force, the church as a movement, the church worldwide has God's guarantee that Jesus is behind it and he will continue growing it around the world until the time he returns. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it he says. Now, the the word that Matthew used for church is an interesting term. In the Greek language, it's the word ekklesia. And this is a compound word that literally means people who are called out. I don't mean you're being called out to be shamed or confronted. No, but you're called out from something to something else. 
So it's, it's a combination of two Greek words. Uh, the prefix ek literally means out of, and the verb kaleo means to call. So the church is made up of people who are called out of the darkness of this world to join a team that Jesus is gathering in order to further his mission of bringing his light throughout the world, the light of the gospel. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose this word that has some background to it. Ecclesia had been used in ancient Greek before the writing of the New Testament in two primary ways. It was used, first of all, to describe the citizens of Athens in Greece who were the first people who were given the right to vote and therefore to have a somewhat democratic population. But it was used in a second way that I think is more important to us. It described an elite group of special force soldiers who were trained, ready to be called out, and to jump into action at a moment's notice. I think it is fascinating that Matthew chose this specific word to describe the church. He's saying that the church is not something that is boring and static, but the church is a group of people who are constantly being trained, who are saying to God, I'm ready to be used if you only let me know where you want me to be used. And they're like a band of elite forces, like army rangers or navy seals who are ready to do the most important tasks that God has for us. I don't know about you, but that encourages me about the way that God sees us, that he would give us that name. We are part of the church. I get excited when I read about a description of a local church that way. That means that church isn't something boring that you do only if there's nothing else to do on Sunday morning. It means that church is a group of people who've discovered the true identity of Jesus. They've wrestled with the information and concluded that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. And he is the very son of God who came to represent God the Father, who is gathering and training an elite squad of special forces who are ready to be called into action in order to spread the gospel and further the mission of Jesus Christ to a very needy world. So consider our connection today to this description by Jesus. The church is defined by our faith and trust in Jesus, who is the Son of God and the Messiah. The church is called out by God as part of a gathering that Jesus himself commissioned. The church is made up of people who are being equipped and being readied to be called into action at a moment's notice to serve in the process of advancing the kingdom of God in the midst of this world. If all of that was true then, and we still have that same name, then it is also true now. That's the point of raising all of that. Charles Spurgeon was one of the great Christians from the 1800s. He was, in effect, the Billy Graham of the 1800s. And he once said that to be a Christian is to be a missionary. Now, Spurgeon didn't mean that everyone has to leave their homes and go to some land that's far away. He meant that we see ourselves as people who are on mission here today and every day that comes from an understanding of the background or the etymology of the word church that we are called out and ready. Does that make sense to you? It's a high challenge that we're given right off the bat when Jesus says, I will build my church. And that we are part of that church and that the church will not fail because it's part of God's mission to the world that will not be finished until Christ comes again to gather his own. Here's the second thought. This understanding is reflected in the Great Commission. 
So one of the passages that I read for you a moment ago from Matthew chapter 28 is known to us throughout church history as the Great Commission. It's the final commission that Jesus gave to his disciples shortly before he ascended back into the heavens. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. These words were delivered when Jesus met with his disciples after the resurrection. They almost appear to us as the conclusion of that 40-day graduate school program that he had in mind for them after he'd been raised to life when he met with the disciples and as he was commissioning them to carry on the work without him being physically present anymore. So these words have become known as the Great Commission. They're the final words that Matthew records in his gospel. Matthew concludes his gospel with these words, probably for impact. They grab our attention. They focus our energies and our actions. And that's where his gospel stops. He tells us that Jesus was acting in authority from God the Father when he gave this commission. This was an official act of Jesus in launching the mission of the church around the world. So this month, Our Church on the Move series is reacquainting us with God's purposes. So far, we've looked at how teaching or discipleship and fellowship fit into these purposes. Today, we're looking at how serving and sending are part of those purposes. The purposes of the church are evident in the Great Commission. So we serve others as we teach everything Jesus has commanded. We worship the Lord as we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me just throw in, I've got a couple of people who've asked me about when the next opportunity to get baptized is. So we're going to do that on Sunday morning, December 31st. Great opportunity to end the year on a strong note and to begin the new year on a strong strong note. If you've been thinking about that, that you've never been baptized as a believer and you'd like to be, you've got a month and a half's notice and we'd love to include you in that. Let me or one of our pastoral team know. We'd love to talk with you about that. We are involved in discipleship as disciples lead others to become disciples. We further the mission wherever we go as God leads us all over the world and we experience fellowship in this teaching, discipling, serving, sending community week by week. The community that is called by Jesus, gathered in his name as children who are adopted into his family. All of this defines the kind of fellowship that we are becoming together. So last Sunday, we talked about the the core value of fellowship. Today's message builds on that and asks, what kind of fellowship are we? What kind of fellowship are we becoming or that we should be shooting for off in the future? So we are looking at that through the lens of the Great Commission. And here's what it tells me. We are becoming a fellowship that is devoted to the apostles' teaching. We are becoming a fellowship that deeply identifies with and follows Jesus wherever he leads us. We are becoming a fellowship that worships the Lord by taking next steps in devotion to him. We are becoming a fellowship that gets on our knees and prays together. We are becoming a fellowship that loves each other and serves each other. We are becoming a fellowship that can't get enough of each other as we become more like Jesus And so we develop fellowship that spills out beyond the hours that we meet publicly here. We are becoming a fellowship that is trained and taught and ready to be called into action wherever he would send us. 
and we are becoming a fellowship that is on mission and longing to be used by God. Does any of that speak to you and what you're picking up and what you're learning or what he's doing in your life? I, I sure hope so. Here's the central idea that I want to get across this morning. The church fulfills its Christ-ordained purpose as we become a fellowship that serves and sends. We become more like the early church as we serve, as we serve together, as we serve each other, as we serve other people outside of these walls. So let me take you back to Acts chapter 2 that we've been looking through uh, each week in this series so far. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me unpack what's going on in these short, uh, jam-packed verses First, there was a powerful sense of belonging that's described there. The people of this church identified with the mission so much that they had this sense that they belonged to each other. They were all in this journey together. They were all on this ride together. And they decided that they were all in. When they saw others from the fellowship in need, they did something about it. A few chapters later, we'll discover that they eventually created deacons to lead this effort and to take care of some of the physical, tangible needs of the church. But that didn't absolve the rest of the church from meeting needs on their own. Like they say with the military, some gave all, all gave some. And that's the kind of description you find here of that early church, that it didn't all happen at once, but from time to time they saw a need and some people who had a lot began to live with less in order to bless other people who had very little at all. And it just became normative and natural and attractive. We become more like the early church when we adopt that attitude about meeting needs of other people. And then they put themselves in places where they could hear the Lord. So every day after work, they met in the temple courts where Peter and John taught. In fact, as Acts rolls out in chapter 3 and 4, there was one day after work as people were showing up in the temple courts that Peter and John healed a man and it led to this huge controversy that takes up all of chapter 3 and 4 of Acts. Some of those meetings spilled over into mealtimes in their homes and so it says they were breaking bread together. That's not just talking about official communion times, but they're sharing meals and it's something that happens when people sit across the table from each other and share life and share meals where you grow deeper. And then there was large group teaching that was happening in the temple courts and wherever they gather on Sunday mornings, as well as small group teaching going on in those homes. And in doing so, they shared their lives and they shared their stories of God's grace. Sharing our lives and our stories is what happens when we share meals together. Faith is often caught from other people this way. We build each other up, and in the process, we grieve each other's losses, and we share in each other's victories, and we get this sense that we're all in this together. Soon, that first church would discover how to serve through spiritual gifts. The teaching gift was very prominent early. 
Soon that was paired with leadership from elders and practical helps by deacons. And within a few years, the apostles were writing about several other spiritual gifts that they were discovering in operation throughout the local church. But prior to Paul writing about it, they didn't have any description of the spiritual gifts. It was it's just watching as they were breaking out and being used in the local church. I don't know if you know what your spiritual gifts are. I, I was raised in a church that didn't talk much about spiritual gifts. They were afraid that there were some spiritual gifts that they didn't want would break out in the local church. And I have to tell you, it wasn't until I was in seminary and in the first church where I was a pastor that I began to find confirmation about what my spiritual gifts were. And I know very clearly my, my dominant spiritual gifts are in teaching and preaching and leadership and in faith. And there's some other areas. I'm an absolute zero on the spiritual gifts chart, which is why we need each other, because you're going to be strong in some area, and you're going to be a zero in some other area. But when we put them all together, we learn to function well and in a well-rounded way. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, uh, there's going to be a 301 bless class, how you can bless others with the gifts that God gives you that's starting on December 3rd. It's going to happen right here at 9 o'clock downstairs in, in a classroom, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. You can go online and you can find that. The idea is that God has wired you up in specific ways to bless others inside the church and then sometimes outside the church as well. And we reflect God's intentions by sending. Notice verse 19 in the middle of the Great Commission. Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The international focus of the church was evident from the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is the name used for two events in biblical history. In the Old Testament era, it referred to an annual celebration of the wheat harvest that would happen every fall. And at the outset of Acts, the earliest Christians had gathered together for Pentecost. But this became the day when the Holy Spirit broke out and fell upon the entire church. Peter started preaching in the streets. People from different nations heard the gospel in their own native tongue, even though nobody was using that native tongue on that day. It was a miraculous event. And on that day, 3,000 people were baptized as believers in Christ, and the church grew astronomically in that moment. It was a miracle. And many churches today celebrate Pentecost annually to commemorate that event. But here's the, here's the point that I'm driving at right now. The work of the Holy Spirit to all of these groups made this a multi-ethnic international event. So from the outset, the New Testament church was multi-ethnic and international from day one of the church's launching. Soon the Jerusalem church became a sending church. They were loving everybody being together and the church growing larger and larger and people ministering in their gifts and people meeting each other's needs. It was all wonderful. But at Pentecost, there were also people from other nations who were there and they brought the gospel home with them. So by the time we get to Acts chapter 8, we find that the Lord was using Roman persecution to separate the church in Jerusalem and to drive them to other places around Asia and Europe. And as they spread out, the church on the move became apparent. It couldn't just stay in one place. 
For it to fulfill the mission God had, it had to be on the move, taking the gospel message of Christ and the hope of Christ to the rest of the world that hadn't heard yet. And a new gospel outreach center appeared in the city of Antioch, the second church ever. By the way, our good friend Ron Cardus would tell you all about the, the church at Antioch because his family goes all the way back. If you ever want to get a history of the second church ever, talk to Ron. Ron, wave your hand for a second. Talk to Ron. He will love to fill your mind with stories about Antioch because his faith goes all the way back to that. By Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas were being sent out to plant churches around Asia and Europe. And by the end of Acts All of the other original apostles had been sent to other regions in the world. They didn't get to stay together in in that comfy fellowship in Jerusalem. Here's what we learned from that. Healthy, mission-centered churches become sending churches. Now, there are a number of ways that that happens. Sometimes we're sending and supporting missionaries. So North River, from time to time, will remind you that there are a handful of missionaries and mission efforts that are supported through our GO team. Uh, GO originally stood for Global Outreach, and then at one point people realized, you know, we're all talking about mission being over there. Sometimes GO has to mean GO, that we are on the GO, that we are getting our hands dirty. Paul Bosworth has recently taken the leadership baton from Paul Short, and he's leading that effort with a team, and they're always looking for people to be added to that team. From time to time, they make us aware of needs for support or involvement. This week, the GO team is leading an effort to supply 30 Thanksgiving meals for Brookview House in Dorchester. I don't know if you noticed, but early in the week, there was a realization that we only had commitments for 15 of those meals, so turkeys and food and all the stuff that would go with it. And uh, an email went out to the small group leaders saying, hey, would you talk to your group? What if we had a number of small groups who would adopt one of these families that will receive one of those meals? Here's the cool thing that happened through just one email that Todd sent out. In two days' time, all of those other 15 commitments were matched. And today we can honestly say we have 30 fully uh, stacked uh, meals that are being provided and gathered and packed up today and brought to uh, Brookview House in Dorchester this week. So yay, North River. Way to go taking up the challenge. And thank you to the small group leaders who said, hey, team, what if we jumped into action? I know it's short notice, but it was wonderful to watch this happen within our own church family. Uh, I noticed this morning there are two friends that, that came in. I didn't know they were going to be here. Where's Doug and Denise Gregson? Stand up for a second. Doug and Denise Gregson are two people we have supported for years. They used to be with uh, a ministry in Guam where Doug's unique technical expertise led him to, to that, take on that call years ago and through TWR Ministries, which one, once upon a time stood for Trans World Radio, Doug led the internet-driven outreach of the gospel into restricted lands in the eastern part of our world where through radio waves and through use of technology, the gospel is getting out into all kinds of places that it would never, ever get to. Today, Doug is working with another ministry. Yeah, you can sit down. 
called uh, Paratech Ministries. They're, they're based here in the U.S., but they're using the same kind of skills to partner with a bunch of other organizations that are doing similar things around the world. Doug, it's so wonderful that we can be a part of your ministry, and you are a part of North River that way. Thank you, Denise, for the, all the work that you have done and all the prayer letters and the notes you've sent to me over the years. They, they are valuable. Another way that we do that is with, with short-term mission training. So often this refers to mission trips, like the ones we had to go out that, that went out this summer to flood-soaked Erie, Pennsylvania. And a number of you put your, your sweat equity into that kind of mission effort. Uh, another is uh, one of our young women, Ella Duff, is taking a gap year this year. And uh, she made the GO team aware, uh, other than just her dad, who's very proud, uh, of the, the mission that she has become involved with over the next several months. And I was thrilled to see that our GO team has picked up a significant part of that cost. It's wonderful to see some of our 18-year-old, 19-year-old young adults catching that fire and getting a sense that God is leading them in a direction and, and going. Another way that we do that is through the normal coming and going that is part of our life. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the years, we've often seen people move away from here because of jobs or family that takes them in a different direction. And they take what they have seen and they learn from North River with them to other parts of the country. Some of those folks today continue to watch our services online every week, and, and I'll get notes from people who are watching us who are still part of North River from California and Ohio and a big bunch in North Carolina and other places, and it's fantastic. They can stay in touch with us that way, and they continue to serve where the Lord has planted them now. Sometimes that involves intentional church planting. North River was an intentional church plant led by a small staring plant that helped Sue and me 34 years ago to launch North River. Some church movements regularly invest in intentional church planting. It's hard work. Church plants don't all survive, but new churches evangelize more naturally than older, well-established churches, which is why we need more of them. And then there's unintentional church planting. About 14 years ago, a group of young adults wanted a more reformed Presbyterian church experience, and they left North River to form what became Grace Presbyterian in Hanover. And while that process at the time was somewhat painful, a healthy, loving, growing church emerged. The pastor they brought in, Troy Albee, is a friend of mine. He's a fantastic guy. And today, our churches have a good relationship, and we thank God for Grace Presbyterian today and for what they're doing in our area. About 20 years ago, New Hope Chapel in Rockland sent out a group to Plymouth that became New Hope Chapel in Plymouth. And we thank God for New Hope. We had been praying for years for another solid, gospel-oriented church in Plymouth. Today, there are probably somewhere between 40 and 60 people who used to be a part of North River who lived in Plymouth who said, you know what? I can go to a church that's somewhat like North River in my own town, and I can probably bring my neighbors too if I do this in my own town. When I walk in there, it's like old home day, and there are all these people who instantly are greeting me. On the one hand, it's sad because I'd love to have them be here, but that's what a gospel movement does as people are sent by God into other places, and that is a vital growing church in our area. It wasn't intentional on our part, but we, we rejoice with the growth and the impact of new hope. Part of that original Rockland Church relocated to Norwell, and there's also a, a New Hope Chapel in Norwell, and they also partner with us in a number of ways, and we're grateful for them. 
And the last way is training ourselves to think like missionaries. I don't want you to think that you're church members. I want you to think that you are missionaries in the making for our own communities. Because there are all kinds of people who need to hear the gospel. And they're not all going to welcome me into their living room to tell them. Most often, they're going to learn by talking with you when they say, why are you involved the way that you are involved? What difference is this making in your life? And as you can answer those questions, people begin to catch the gospel. When you take North River's 401 build class, you will learn principles for building God's kingdom on earth. That's what Todd was doing this morning, why he had to film that message Part of that is learning how to tell your own story of God's saving grace in your life. Part of that is learning how to winsomely share the gospel with somebody else. The realization is you don't have to leave home to think like a missionary. What would happen if we all mapped out our neighborhoods and began to pray for every home and the people in them who border your home and your neighborhood and just ask God to work in their lives? What could the Lord do through us over the next three or five or ten years if we just did that, if we just mapped out our neighborhood and prayed over every home and the people who live there? The church fulfills its Christ-ordained purpose as we become a fellowship that serves and sends. I'd like you to watch this short video and then I'll come back and pray at the end. It's our time. We must rise up and no longer disparage. It's our time, church, to honor our heritage. We have a savior. He gave it all on the cross. We stand beside martyrs who counted nothing as lost. They took God's mysteries, opened them up for us. Stephen, John the Baptist, Bonhoeffer, Jan Hus. Surrounded by a cloud of witnesses above, it's now our turn to model his unending love. Our mission is one we cannot confuse, nor muddy up with some trite excuse. You say you're not well-versed, ready, or able. I think Moses even tried to use that fable. The time we have, it's now more urgent. If we should hear, well done, faithful servant. Yeah, church, it's our time. It's our time to confess the ways we're mangled, the sins and selfishness that have us entangled. Lust, greed, and pride, their path leads to the grave. Yet we return to our sins as if we're a slave. Can we survive in this putrid dead sea? I quote Paul, may it never be. So let's cast aside our individual leprosy and begin to leave a biblical legacy. There's a glorious prize awaiting to be won, and the way to win is to start to run. Let's lace them up and fight the good fight, become to the world both salt and light. Our life on earth is merely a vapor. Our chapter must move from pen to paper. So church, let's get to writing because it's our time. 
It's our time, church. We have what it takes to help the world from its slumber awake. To Jesus, we are his beautiful bride. Whom shall we fear with him on our side? We have each other. We are not alone. It's iron to iron in the combat zone. There's a promise of life full of adventure. As long as we give both talents and treasure, the workers are few, the harvest is plenty, with so many lives running on empty. Scores of people trying to cope. They've come to the end of their proverbial rope. Young eyes are wandering, looking for direction. Make sure we point them to his resurrection. The clock's ticking. We're on our dime. Hey, church, rise up. It's our time. We look back to the first church because we learned the principles, but we live them out today. It's our time, right? God, thank you for placing us in an environment where we can be equipped, instructed in your word, encouraged, and set loose to bring light into dark places, to bring grace into graceless places. Thank you for having a role for each of us to play and for calling us into ministry together. I ask that you will bless our church as we leave the walls of the building and as the church leaves the campus to go into the world where you want us to serve. Lead us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.